Uh, if you're new with us here at Alpine, if you're a guest, my name is Scott. I'm a pastor at Alpine, and I'm excited uh, to start a new series with you today. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. But, you know, it's, uh, I have one little important piece of business to get to right before we get into today's message. And the important piece of business is this. It is Christian Bagley's birthday today. And he is turning 14 in the front row there, and you only, yeah, you only turn 14 once. So uh, I don't know, does the worship team have happy birthday loaded? We could play that or, no, that's all right. We'll save that for next time. But uh, so if you have any upcoming birthdays on Sundays, go ahead and email me, let me know, and uh, I can embarrass your kid too. No. Happy birthday, buddy. That's a, that's, a, that's a fun day. Good day. All right. Well, um, now that we dealt with that. Um, we are going to talk today about the book of Revelation, but you know, um, as we get into Revelation, what an interesting book to study at this time, because it's such, a, such, a, such an unusual time for us, right? Such an unusual, to say the least, such an unusual time for church. If you told me way back, way back in February, sort of the BC, right, <laughs> of our existence, if you told me in February, we're not going to meet together in person for Easter, um, we're going to have some video worship in the summer, if you, you told me all these things, I've been like, no way, that's wild, that's not going to happen, and yet here we are, it's happened. But here's the thing, I, I hope you understand that even what we were just singing that last song, that God hasn't stopped working since March. It's not like the coronavirus took God out of the picture, because it didn't. God has still been at work. You know, the church has still been meeting. Our church has been meeting online and in person. God is still helping people. We're still helping people pursue God. Our small groups are still meeting. I have a small group that meets tonight on Zoom, right? And we are, we are thriving and we are growing. Our, our small group is expanding actually right now. And, and God's doing more, more, so much work among us. We've had more people go through the pursuit um, than in the last couple months. It, it, God is God is at work. God is at live. We, we, we've had fusion meeting. Um, we have we've met in person in the month of June, July. We're just online, but there's a lot going on. I hope you understand that. I hope you understand that the same God who was working in Alpine Church in February is still working now, and He's changing lives, and He's changing hearts, and He's bringing people to Himself. Next week, Next week, we have a baptism service at Willard Bay, connected to Alpine Church Brigham City, and we're going to see people get baptized. A few, a few weeks ago, I think last month, like eight people got baptized at Alpine Church Desert Edge. And so God is, God is doing things. I, I hope you understand that God hasn't taken a time out. And I think that's really important to think of as we get into the book of Revelation. Now, it's interesting to talk about the book of Revelation right now because... Um, because there's been a few, I'm not going to lie, there's been a few times my wife and I have turned to each other, we've, we've woken up, we've read the news and been like, is Jesus coming back today? Because, <laughs> wow, right? I think it was like when the earthquake hit. That's the one that really it was like, that earthquake day where I was like, all right, kids, people get ready, Jesus is coming. You know, I hope you better confess who ate that cookie because Jesus is about to come back. All right? And you don't want that on your conscience when he comes back. No, that's, that's not quite how theology works. But, but like when that earthquake hit, it was like, yes, Lord, <laughs> we have pandemics, we have earthquakes, you know. And um, for centuries, right, people have tried to wonder, when is the end going to come? When is the end going to come? And, and for centuries, Christians have been fascinated by the book of Revelation They've been fascinated by trying to understand what we find in the book of Revelation and, and what's it talking about and, and what's it pointing to. 
Uh, for years, people have tried to predict when Jesus is coming back. One of my favorite book titles is uh, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return by 1988. I don't know if you remember that one. <laughs> that book you can get on deep discount now. All right, deep discount. Christians have tried to figure out, like, who is the Antichrist over the centuries. People thought the Pope was the Antichrist, or more recently Saddam Hussein, Prince Charles. You can find a book that says Prince Charles might be the Antichrist. Virtually every American president has been, has been thought of by one group to potentially be the Antichrist. And so when you think of fascination with the end of the world and how might it end and what it might look like, there's a lot swirling around there. But what we want to do in this series is we want to really let God's Word speak for itself. We really want to let the book of Revelation speak for itself. And the book of Revelation is really centered on one person, and that's Jesus Christ. And so as we come to this for the next few weeks, um, I forget exactly how many weeks, I've been on vacation, sorry, but some weeks, <laughs> I think this carries us through the, the rest of the summer, um, we are going to be digging into the book of Revelation, and we're going to do so, I'm really excited to do so, not because I have some great fascination for when is the world going to end, but the book of Revelation offers hope, and it offers peace, and it offers a, a view of how to live in the midst of difficulty and trial and suffering for Christians. And I think it's a really timely message for us today. And so today, what I want us to do is I want us to get a, a big picture understanding of the book of Revelation. And so the, the thing that I want us to understand right off the bat is that the book of Revelation is all about Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. Is the book of the Revelation about the end of the world? I mean, it kind of deals with that. Is it about a, a coming one world government? Well, I mean, there's themes about that kind of thing in there. Is it about the return of Jesus primarily? Well, certainly the return of Jesus is covered in the book of Revelation, but, but it doesn't really come into full display until chapter 19. The book of Revelation is really about Jesus Christ himself. You know, you can think of human history, you can think of human history as one long movie, right? Just like all of human history is one long movie. And the star of human history. Do you know who the star of human history is? First of all, it's not you. You should know, okay? I know when we think through, we think through life and world events, we, we kind of think of ourselves as the stars, but really we're just extras. We just sort of, we pass through the background of God's big overarching story, overarching movie. The star of human history is Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. Or you can think of it another way. You can think of that Jesus Christ is the sun at the center of the solar system, and everyone, all of us, we're just, we're just orbiting around him, right? We're just kind of going around him. But he's what it's all about. And he's the focus of the book of Revelation. And see what I mean? Let's look at the first two verses. It says in Revelation 1, this is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to a servant, John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, notice what it says there at the beginning. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ. It's getting at the idea that the book of Revelation, give you a little context, it's probably written around the year AD 90, so later, towards the end of the first century, by the Apostle John, so one of Jesus' closest friends, one of his closest disciples. He writes 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the Gospel of John. That's this John. And he is on the island of Patmos, and he's been imprisoned, and he receives this revelation from Jesus Christ. But 
It's not just a revelation from Jesus Christ, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. The wording can kind of go either way. That's why some Bible translations, you might have a different Bible translation or if you have the Bible app. If you have the Bible app, you have every Bible translation, basically. And if you look at other English translations, good translations, they'll also say, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's showing us who Jesus is and what his mission is and what he came to do and what his identity is. And that's why I'm really excited to dig into this book with you. We're not going to parse every sign and symbol in the book. You do that in your, sm- in your Zoom small groups. You can do that. But what we're going to do here on Sundays is we're going to take a big picture look at the different passages, stages of the book of Revelation, and we're going to see what they teach us primarily about Jesus Christ. Now, something else to understand is that uh, this, this letter, this book, um, can be seen and probably should be read through what we're calling four different lenses, okay? When you read the book of Revelation, you need to read it through, through four different uh, lenses, like th- four different sets of glasses that you might put on to read through the book of Revelation. You'll notice there it says that Jesus, uh, God, gave, God gave this revelation to him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. It says that these are events that must soon take place. What this, what this should remind us is that the, the book of Revelation, um, it's first off written to seven churches that are addressed in the first couple chapters of the book, but it's also written to the whole church. But these are not merely events that will only happen in the future, but they're also about some events that were going to take place in the first century and in the early second century and in the lives of the early Christians. And so there's four different lenses through which to kind of look at the book of Revelation, and almost all four of these lenses are used in every passage. And and here's what I mean. The first is the first century lens. A lot of times when you read the book of Revelation, especially if you, like, grew up reading Left Behind or or anything, or watching Left Behind movies, and, and I've never seen the Nick Cage one on Netflix, but, uh, but whatever, whatever Left Behind uh, you've read or seen, sometimes we just think of Revelation only about the future, only about the future, but the, there's a first century lens of the book of Revelation. And what this means is that a lot of the content of the book of Revelation was written for the Christians who first received it, the Christians who were alive during the time of John, the first Christians who lived under the Roman Empire, And so, a lot of the imagery and a lot of the symbolism of the book of Revelation comes right out of the Roman Empire and and the the cult of the emperor and things like that. And we'll dig into that more in in just a little bit. And so, sometimes things in the book of Revelation are in the future from when it was being recorded, but they speak of events that have already happened. So, that's the first century lens. The second lens is the future lens, that the book of Revelation speaks about the return of Christ and future events that are going to be ushered in that are going to happen around the return of Jesus Christ. And so, if the book of Revelation explains some of the events of what was going on in the first century, it also tells us what's going to be happening at the end of time when Jesus returns, the future lens. The third lens is the universal lens. The book of Revelation also depicts for us the ongoing battle between God, and especially God's people, and the the satanic forces throughout human history. 
So whether you lived in the 3rd century or the 5th century, or if you lived in 1000 AD, or you lived in the 1900s in Asia, or you live today in Utah, there is a universal depiction of the struggle between God's people, God, and Satan and demonic forces that are going on in the book of Revelation. And the fourth and final lens is the lens of our contemporary world today, how the book of Revelation speaks to us today, because the, the book of Revelation has a lot to say about hope and perseverance and materialism and idolatry and greed and all these things that are going on in the book of Revelation. So there's a lot there. There's a lot there. So typically, there's not just one way to look at a passage in the book of Revelation, but there's a few different ways. And if, if, I've, if I've made your head spin a little bit, that's okay. It makes a lot of people's heads spin, all right? <laughs> but I want you to see that first and foremost, that the book of Revelation does one main thing. It tells us about Jesus Christ. The second thing is the book of Revelation is meant for faith and obedience, not for speculation. Not for speculation. A lot of people come to the book of Revelation. I remember doing this in college. Like, I'm going to read Revelation because I want to know who the Antichrist is. I don't know why I thought I would figure that out when people for thousands of years couldn't. But I, I, had, a lot of, I had a lot of belief in myself when I was 20. I've lost that belief as the years go on, but the book of Revelation is meant for faith and obedience, primarily, not just to speculate. Here's what I mean. Revelation 1.3, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and He blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. In other words, there's a, there's a motivating, there's, there's something to obey in the book of Revelation, and that's what we really want to hang on to. Notice what it says there. It says that God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy. Now, what is prophecy? Prophecy is, usually involves two things. It involves future telling, you know, probably that's what we primarily think of a, as a prophet, someone who tells you what's going to happen in the future. So in the Old Testament, Isaiah, he, he tells a prophecy about the birth of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus, right? That's a prophecy, foretelling. But the other thing that prophets would do is they would look at their, their world, they would see the behavior of God's people, and then they would look to the scriptures, they would look to the Bible, and they would diagnose what God was going to do based on what he had already revealed in the Bible. Meaning, so Isaiah, he looks into the future and he predicts the future, but Isaiah also looks at, at, at his world and the Israelites and their disobedience, and then he reads the Old Testament and he says, hey, everyone, you know, God's going to bring us judgment because you failed to follow the covenant. You failed to live up to what, what he's called you to, how he's called you to live. And so Revelation functions in a very similar way. It tells us about the future, but it also helps us see and explain the world we live in today. The, world, the word revelation literally means an apocalypse, an unveiling, and here's the thing. A lot of people tend to avoid revelation because it's really confusing. I don't know, if you've never read revelation before and you're like, what are you talking about? Well, just, just wait. <laughs> I'd encourage you throughout the series to try to read through the book of Revelation, not just once, but a couple times. If you read it for 10 minutes a day, you can get through it pretty quickly. But the book of Revelation is a specific genre. It's a specific, you know, like genres, like in movies, there's sci-fi movies, you know, there's romantic comedies. I suppose there's other kind of movies, but pretty much my wife likes romantic comedies. I like sci-fi. We don't really watch anything else. So, but I'm sure there's other kinds of movies out there. And those are all genres of movies. The, the Bible, the books of the Bible are, are all different genres. And so Revelation is the apocalyptic genre. 
It deals with these cataclysmic events. And so it uses imagery that seems often pretty bizarre and, and difficult for us to understand, right? When you read the Proverbs, that's, that's a different kind of genre, right? It, it's a different, it's, it's called wisdom. If you read First Kings, I was this morning, I was reading the book of First Kings, that's history. And so you read each genre a little bit differently. In other words, just because I'm reading the book of First Kings and it tells me what Solomon did one day, that doesn't mean that God wants me to go and do the exact same thing that Solomon did at all. <laughs> it's just sort of recording the events uh, of history and interpreting them through the eyes of God. But, but just because Solomon did something doesn't mean that we should do it at all. If you, really, if you know the life of Solomon, there's a lot you shouldn't follow at all in the life of Solomon. In the same way, you know, the book of Proverbs teaches us wisdom for how to live our lives. And wisdom, so you have to be a little careful claiming all the typically true, but it may not play out the same way in every situation. So you have to be a little careful claiming all the, the, the promises, alleged promises in the book of Proverbs. You have to interpret them in their genre. In the same way, we have to understand what the book of Revelation is. It's, it's t- t- using um, imagery to describe the, some cataclysmic events. But let's move forward to language we understand a little bit better. It's also a promise, right? God blesses those who listen to its message. He will increase our faith and those who obey what it says. Obey what it says. And what it tells us, big picture, is to put our faith and trust and obedience and follow the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the big message of the book of Revelation. That's the big way to obey, is to to trust in God, to say no to the sinful desires and sinful impulses, to realize the demonic forces that might be behind certain things in our world and our culture, and to resist those, and to trust in Christ. And even when life gets hard, even when you face persecution, even when you suffer, even when you face economic hardships, keep trusting in Jesus Christ. That's part of what it means to obey and you'll be blessed by listening to the message, for the time is near. Revelation 22 says something similar. Look, God says, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. Blessed are you, happy are you, content are you, who do what God's Word tells you to do in the book of Revelation. So, one thing I would just say Sometimes as Christians, we can be really curious to, to perceive what is meant in the book of Revelation, but as I read this, what this is telling me is that God really wants us to see our lives transformed through reading the book of Revelation and through reading the Bible, right? Sometimes as Christians, we can get so lost in studying that we learn a lot of facts about the Bible, right? You can know a lot of stuff about the Bible, so that if we ever had like a Bible Jeopardy day at Alpine, you could, you could do really well, right? And that's... But, but that's not really the point of studying the Bible. It's not so that you have a lot of knowledge about God. The point of reading the Bible and meditating on God's Word is that you would be transformed by the Word of God. And so my prayer for Alpine Church is that you would fall more in love with Jesus Christ as you read the book of Revelation. That you would see how God speaks to you in the midst of hardship and difficulty. And He's there for you. All right, one more thing about the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation presents Jesus as you've never seen him before. Presents Jesus as you've never seen him before. The first time that Jesus came to earth, he came as a sacrificial lamb, right? The story of Jesus' earthly life is he dies on a cross, raised from the dead, but he dies on the cross. 
He was the Passover lamb. He died for our sins. He willingly gave up his life so that we might have forgiveness and new life. When Jesus returns, he comes back as a lion. That's why, I don't know if you noticed this, but look at that image there. Whoever made that image, pretty cool. There's a lion hidden in those flames. Because the Jesus who returns, who comes back, is a, is a lion. And he's here to wage war on his enemies. And his enemies are particularly the satanic dark forces. And he comes back as a general. And it gets really, I'll just say, it gets a little PG-13 in the book of Revelation. I'm not going to lie. It gets a little bloody. <laughs> gets a little nasty. And the, the risen Lord comes back as the Lion of Judah. And so the depiction of Jesus that we find in the book of Revelation is, is a lot different than maybe the, the Jesus that you have in your minds, right? In other words, he's a lot different than the Jesus you see on like greeting cards, right? Or on posters or on, on people's walls. The kind of meek and mild Jesus who would never get mad at anyone. He's mad in Revelation. Holy righteousness holy anger, but, you know, he comes back to avenge the death uh, of those who are martyred for the faith and to put an end to unrighteousness. And we get a, a little glimpse of this new Jesus in Revelation 1, 4 through 5. Not new Jesus, but fuller picture of Jesus. It says in verse 4, this letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Now, we looked in detail a couple years ago um, at, at the letters to the seven churches. So this time we're not going to look at as in much detail at the, those letters. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come from the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. Let me just stop there for just a second. Verse 4, John gives us a an illusion, not an illusion, but he, he sort of gives us a little picture of the Trinity there. And I don't want you to miss that. John says, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, God the Father. And then he says the sevenfold spirit, the Holy Spirit, sevenfold, um, pr probably having to do with a number of completeness, probably having to do with the seven churches that the Spirit is, is, is there and active in. And then Jesus Christ. That's the Trinity, Father, Spirit, and Son. And he puts Jesus at the end of that list probably because he's going to say more about Jesus. He is the faithful witness to these things. In other words, you can trust Jesus. You can trust what he says because he is the faithful witness. He is trustworthy. He keeps his promises just like God the Father. He is the first to rise from the dead. Right? Jewish people... In Jesus' day, the Jewish people believed that there would be a, a general resurrection from the dead, that people would rise from the dead. You see that in the book of Daniel. What people were kind of surprised by was that the Messiah would die on a cross and be raised from the dead in, in, in kind of the middle of human history. That's exactly what happens. And so Jesus is able to speak authoritatively because He is our risen Lord, risen from the dead, so he's the faithful witness, he's the first to rise from the dead, and he's the ruler of all the kings of the world. Man, what a fascinating statement, because if you read the book of Revelation, and you're going to, right? We're all going to read the book of Revelation. Listen to it, however you, however you get it in you, you know, do it. When you read the book of Revelation, it talks a lot about kings of the earth and rulers of the earth and powerful business people and powerful religious people. 
all these people with a lot of power. But it says the one who really rules over everyone is Jesus Christ. He's the true king. Even if he's not on the list of Forbes top billionaires in the world, he's the true king of the world, true king of the universe. All glory to him who loves us, this faithful king, the first to rise from the dead, the ruler of the world. He loves us, and he has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing that that the Lord of the universe, God himself, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for our sins because he loved us. That is the powerful message that we find, powerful reminder we have in the book of Revelation. It goes on, and I just kind of want this description to wash over you a little bit. Verse 12, John says, when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. So he's describing Jesus. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance." When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. Now, I just want to remind you, this is John, the apostle, who had been friends with Jesus and lived with Jesus for three years and knew Jesus really well, and he has this encounter with the risen Lord in all of his glory, and the only thing he can do, is all he can do is fall over like a dead man. I can sympathize. I probably would do the same thing. <laughs> this Jesus who, when he, when he speaks, it's like mighty oceans, who, who has this two-edged sword come out of his mouth, his face like the sun in all of its brilliance. This is Jesus the lion, not Jesus the lamb. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Wow. I don't know about you. When I read that, I'm like, this this Jesus is a Jesus who is worthy to be worshipped, deserves my obedience, deserves my allegiance, demands my obedience, demands my allegiance, and I should worship him because he was worthy of it. You see what the book of Revelation is saying is that Jesus is the embodiment of God, Yahweh, Yahweh, the the name of God, that that Jesus isn't just another prophet, He's not just another man, He's not just a miracle worker, He's not just some great teacher or some guru, He is God Himself. And He says, I am the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. This is language that you also find in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 48, 12, God says, listen to me, O family of Jacob, Israel, my chosen one, I alone am God, the first and the last. Jesus is God himself. 
That, that's one thing that Revelation just makes plain to us. And I know, I know I'm really hitting this point hard, but I, I hope we never go beyond, I mean, I hope we never like grow weary of the fact that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, deserves our full commitment, our full obedience, and our full worship because he is God himself, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He is the living one. He is alive today, and he's conquered death. He's conquered death, and that's why we can trust him. That's why we can put our hope in him. One more point, one final point, and we'll wrap up here for today. The book of Revelation offers hope. He's coming back right now. No, that's not. That happens in this building. The roof goes up and down. The book of Revelation offers hope that Jesus will prevail over all evil. When the first Christians receive what we call the book of Revelation, they are starting to face persecution. They're starting to face, um, there's persecution within the Jewish synagogues, and you see some of that in the book of Acts, but then persecution also starts to become official from the Roman Empire. And as the years go on, the Roman Empire begins to persecute Christians more and more. And one of the things that was going on, so this is, we're using our first lens here, this is the first century lens. One of the things that was going on in the first century is that there was a, a cult for the emperor. That they said that the Roman emperor, that he wasn't just a politician, he wasn't just their king, he wasn't just their president, they believed that he was God or a god. And so the imperial cult would worship the emperor. And in certain areas of the Roman Empire, they would demand that everybody worship the emperor. And what they would say, what they would tell people that they had to say is that Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. You can have your religion, you can believe what you want to believe, but you have to say that Caesar is Lord. And if you don't say Caesar is Lord, you might go to prison, you might lose your job, you might get killed. As Christians heard that message, say that Caesar is Lord, what is the biblical Christian response? No, he's not. Jesus is Lord. In fact, that title, when you read that Jesus is Lord, that is saying that Caesar's not Lord. There's no human institution or person on par with Jesus. Jesus alone reigns supreme. And so the first Christians, they faced the evil of the Roman Empire, and the depiction of Jesus was meant to encourage them as they faced that persecution. And there's lots of statements throughout the book of Revelation that are sort of like summary statements for how we, we are in a similar battle. Uh, it looks very different, obviously, but we're in a similar battle, similar struggle. And Revelation 7.14 says this, Together they will go to war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will defeat them because He is Lord of all lords, and king of all kings, and his called and his chosen and faithful ones will be with him. See, this is kind of a big picture of what you see in Revelation, that there is, there's a demonic force out there, there's a satanic force out there. We're going to look at it in more detail. There are powerful forces of evil in our world that try to destroy God's people. But Jesus is greater than all of them. He is the lion and the lamb. And he will always defeat his enemies. And everyone who is called and chosen and faithful, trusting in him, they'll be with him. And so here's what that means. You don't need to go through life 
filled with fear over the coronavirus, over losing your job, over other health issues, over whatever it is. Now, I'm not like, there are big things that happen in our life that, that certainly induce anxiety, induce fear initially, but the reason why we don't have to give in to that fear and panic is because we worship the risen Lamb. We worship Jesus Christ, and He is in control, and we know that history, we know that human history, that great movie, is going somewhere, and it's going to a conclusion where Jesus is going to come back, and He's going to put things right for His people and for all of creation. And that's the hope of Revelation. So I hope you're excited. I hope you want to dig more into that. And, and I pray that, 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 you know, our attitude would be, let's be people who don't just listen for curiosity's sake, who listen to answer thorny questions, but let's be people who are ready to be transformed by the Word of God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your Word. Thank you that you speak to us about things that, quite frankly, we don't always understand. And yet, God, I just pray that you would give us your spirit and your wisdom as we um, look at these things. God, help us to see Jesus Christ on full display today. Lord, would we, especially those of us who are followers of Jesus, who are Christians, would we just worship the Son with everything we have, acknowledging who he is and what he has done for us. Thank you that uh, one day we can look forward to being in your throne room with people gathered together from every tongue, tribe, and nation, all before you, worshiping you, not because we deserve to be there, but because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.